Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to Stat, the only show beyond the diamond solely dedicated to keeping the game's heartbeat alive. All right, and welcome back to Stat, the only podcast dedicated to keeping the game's heartbeat alive. I'm your host, Liam Skiffington. Today, I am joined by Mr. Bruce Maxwell. Bruce, how are you doing today? What's going on, man? I appreciate the invite. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I appreciate you uh, taking the time and coming on. So, where are you right now? You're at a facility, right? A hitting facility? Yeah, I'm at our facility out here in uh, in Redwood City. It's called the Foundry, but it's also uh, it's, uh, the Limo Foundation. This is where we do all of our training indoors. The Limo Foundation. Okay, where's that based out of again? Redwood City, California. Redwood City, California. Okay, Bruce. So, like I said, I appreciate you taking the time. I'm super curious. I've been wanting to talk to you, honestly, for a couple of years. I'm glad we finally got connected. Super curious to talk to you about your MLB career, your perspective on everything, and especially the work you're doing with the youth um, and the next generation of players. So I guess we'll just take it from the top and you can kind of walk me through it. So in 2012, you get drafted by the Oakland A's, right? Yep. So what was that? What was draft day like for you? What do you remember about that? Um... Draft day was 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 interesting. Um, that junior year of college was pretty awesome. You know, going from going from receiving you know your questionnaires to having scouts at your games. Uh, my my teammates and my coaches loved the atmosphere. Uh, when we had when we had scouts in the in the stands and almost every one of my junior year games, um, it was turning into a reality slowly uh, to be able to be drafted. Um, the surprise for draft day honestly was coming as high as I got drafted. Um, I was under I had done a few pre draft workouts with some teams and got some different feels of you know maybe you're going to be a late top ten rounder. Um, you might go after the top ten. You might go in the sixth. Like I, I got a I got a, had a few inquiries when it comes to the idea of it, and uh, that day that that day two of the draft, uh, about 10, 15 minutes before the second round started, I got a phone call from the A's, and uh, honestly, I hadn't talked to my A's guy for about three weeks, close to a month prior to that, 
and so it was a surprise. He, you know, he told me, he was like, hey, we can either, you know, give you the second pick of this round or we'll try to grab you later in the round, but it's going to be the same money. So it was like there's not going to be like a like an increase or change in in your uh your your salary so it's we're giving you the choice you know and so i was like all right well i'll go second pick for sure like it's it's perfectly perfectly fine with me all right and literally 10 minutes later draft starts and uh second pick right after the astros you know they announced me and uh my parents went crazy and even the announcers like on the on the broadcast they were trying to find things to say about me because I wasn't a I was basically listed as like a sleeper draft pick mm-hmm. uh, that draft. And so uh, they were fighting, fighting in a way to, to, to say things about me and this that, and the other. But coming from D3, I mean, it was it was pretty it was pretty special. So, Bruce, yeah, like you said, coming from D3, did you always want to be a professional baseball player? Always. My whole my whole life, man. Like you if you ask my parents and my sister, um, you know, I've, my dream was to play in the MLB ever since I was three, four years old. It's like the only thing I wanted to do. Yeah, I played other sports, but that was my main focus, man. Getting to the big leagues. So coming out of high school. Did you have any D1 offers or anything like that? No, I didn't actually. So I had I had two D3 offers. Um, I had two D3 offers, like one or two D2s maybe. And then I had offers from junior colleges kind of all over the South. Uh, my parents are big believers in, in four-year programs. So um, I kind of followed the, the, the path my sister laid out. Um, I have an older sister that went to Sanford University to play basketball, Division One basketball, and um, she really enjoyed the the growing and the and the atmosphere of having kind of like the same people around her every year and the same coaches, the same players. So she had more of like a community to kind of grow and to to develop with. And she told me that she really liked that a lot more than uh, trying to go like a two year and then transfer. And my and then on top of that, my parents were like, "We're going to school once, you know, we're we're not." we're not going to school two, three times here. Like you're going to go once and we're going to stick it out and we're going to finish it. And so, um, my Birmingham Southern was a school that they offered me going into my senior year that I had a starting spot at first base. And so before I even stepped on campus and, and goes, you know, goes to show just like what I tell my kids that are kids I train it's baseball is a different and a beautiful sport in the fact that you can go anywhere as long as you play and you can, you can get grabbed, you know, you can get picked up. Um, the only way I feel like in baseball that we actually progress as players and as people is if we get in-game reps consistently. Um, you can train and practice all you want, but the, what it really develops and changes things is when you actually are on the field and you're playing consistently. So that's what I did. I took the the starting spot, you know, at Birmingham Southern and panned out really well. So you take the starting first baseman's job at Birmingham Southern. You were an MLB catcher. When did that transition happen for you? Officially, it happened my first year. Like when I got drafted, they had already told me they were converting me to a catcher. Have you, um, my, did you ever catch before? My junior year, um, I never caught as a kid. My junior year of college, they my coaches threw me. Both of my college coaches were catchers in college, mm-hmm. um, but they kind of threw me behind the plate about half of the season my junior year. I was a, I was very raw. Um, I picked a lot more balls than I blocked. Um, I kind of learned it on the fly. Like it wasn't. Um, it wasn't pretty by any means, mm-hmm. and uh, but we, you know, led the team to the regionals, and you know, we lost in the in the final game of the regionals to go to the World Series. Um, hit very well, and the biggest, the biggest, the biggest reason why they put me behind the plate is because my junior year, when we were eligible to go to the playoffs after our probation period, um, our catchers were underclassmen. 
And so that year, they just needed an upperclassman, a leader behind the plate. And they said I was athletic enough to do it. And so I did it, no questions, because, you know, I wanted to be there for my team. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, the the way the draft went, uh, they drafted a franchise, our franchise first baseman, the pick before me, Mr. Matt Olson. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it kind of pushed me, pushed them into putting me behind the plate. And they, you know, they told me it was the athleticism, I hit left handed, um, I hit for power and for average. And, you know, I have a good sense of the game. So uh, they, I started full blown catching when after I got drafted. Jesus. So what was, so you get to professional ball and you're playing a base, essentially a brand new position. How did you adjust to that? It was rough. It was my, my first two years. And, and I, I tell my kids this, my first professional game behind the plate, I had about 25 drop balls. Um, I missed about nine, 10 blocks and I missed like three pop ups mm-hmm. and it was it was frustrating it was it was a, a long let's see 2012 13 2012 13 14 were very very long years for me because I had to hit. Obviously, I had to keep hitting to keep progressing. Um, but it was like cleaning up. Like I had to learn how to block. I had to learn how to receive correctly. I had to. The game calling wasn't that difficult uh, because I had. I've, al- I've always thought and breathed the game, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was the receiving. It was the blocking. It was the positioning. It it was all of it. Like being able to block or, or receive, you know, 95, 97, um, being able to just do my job cleanly. That's the hardest part it took because I was also learning in games like I I had to play right so there was no there was no hey like we'll give you a year to to put no it was none of that they threw me straight in the fire and I had to kind of put it all together on the fly man it was it was rough so while you're doing this Bruce while you're like basically just figuring out how to put how to catch in the minor leagues was there ever a time where you were just like man screw this like you had you had you said you had 25 drop balls in a game any games like that that kind of brought you to the edge where you were like dude I can't take this anymore dude tons like I, I had probably I probably had about 10 12 times where I was like, you know what, if I quit now, I have to give some of my sign and bonus back. And I was like, I can't, this catching thing, it was like, it's not, it's not clicking. You know, it's, it's not, I was working my ass off, dude. I was, I was working on it. Um, I was working on it. I was trying to get it to go. And it was just like, it took time. Right. And it took a lot of time. And then, um, I finally got a little com- more comfortable in 2015, uh, when I was in double A and then in 16, it clicked every bit of it clicked. Like I would, that, that year I got called up. Um, I was hitting 330 with 10 and AAA. I was throwing out well over 50% of runners. Um, I was blocking, you know, 99%. Like, I think I'm, I think I might have missed one, maybe two blocks in that total first half of the, my AAA season. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I get up to the big leagues and, you know, my my uh, first game I caught, like, we, we ended up winning. I didn't get any hits because didn't get any hits. But we ended up winning that game uh, the same year. I caught two shutouts that get, that year. I took I took uh, one of our one of our rookies that year. Also, we threw a complete game shutout in Philly, which at the time Philly was one of the hottest offensive teams in the league. And uh, and so it all it all came together really well. And that's when I really started like loving catching because I I could do it and I was comfortable with it. You know what I'm saying? So. And I think that was the biggest thing. It took me a while to be confident in in my catching ability because I was so raw at it. But I think that year it finally it finally did click for me, and it's it's been like that ever since. 
So as you said, yeah, that year, 2016, the year you got called up, everything was clicking for you, which obviously eventually led to your call up. Why do you think everything started clicking, Bruce? Was it just like a culmination of all the work you put in this year? It finally just came together? Yeah, I think it all, I mean, it also came with being comfortable in your own skin, you know? It's like when whenever you learn something new, you know, you can take all the tools and the skills and, and work and work and work and work and work, but until you truly get comfortable with yourself doing it, it's going to be, it's it's not going to come together, right? It's all about confidence, right? And then my first couple of years, I didn't have any confidence behind the plate. I've always had confidence hitting, but when it came to catching, I was like questioning myself every day. Like, so just like anything else, it takes time. The only issue was I had to, I had a little less time because I was on the clock. You know, mm-hmm. I was, I was having a, there was no grace period. I was a, I was a bonus round baby. Um, I was a high draft pick and they wanted me to get it and get it now. And so there was no, there was no break. Like mm-hmm. there was no, and now I was, I, they were running me out there every day, like <laughs> every day, man. So yeah. I had to, <clears throat> I had to figure it out. I had to get it going and, uh, I had to make it happen. Like there was no, there was no, you can have a kind of like an off year kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Like I had to, I had to, I had to keep hitting to stay in the lineup and, uh, and work through my struggles behind the plate. But finally, you know, time, when time and effort and work, it all finally came together and I was actually comfortable behind the plate. And once I got comfortable, it was, you know, I've been, I've been catching well ever since. So Bruce, your time in 2016, when you were in AAA, you were with AAA Nashville, correct? Yes. Was your manager at the time, Rick Sweet? No, it was. Was, um, it was Scarson. Okay, gotcha. Rick Sweet's the current manager of the Nashville Sounds, and he was a longtime catcher and coach, so I didn't know if uh, we no, I know Rick. Pass, but okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, I know a good, Rick. he's a good one. I lived in Nashville for two years and uh, got to cover that team at both those years it was awesome he's great yeah i love i love rick man he's a great dude he knows his stuff and and he's i think he's a very good uh manager for the players mm-hmm. like he he, but, he gets it and he's a he's also just an awesome individual all the guys down there reiterated that same sentiment to me um all right bruce so 2016 you get called up tell me about like that day your, your first day in the big leagues what do you what sticks out in your mind what do you specifically remember from that day oh dude it was insane i get i get called up and i it was it was crazy because my call-up day it happened at a very unfortunate travel day for AAA, and so we had uh that was when i don't know if you remember this but back in 16 delta had a uh blackout for about three days four mm-hmm. days something like that and um so we were coming home from an El Paso Albuquerque trip and we connect from Albuquerque we connect in Phoenix Arizona we get delayed 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 canceled so we're scrambling like we had and that day we traveled was an off day so we were scrambling dude like you know this that, and the other um next day rolls around we end up having a charter a flight we get back to Nashville at like 6 Six thirty in the evening. We have a game that night. It's supposed to be at seven thirty. <laughs> they had to they had to push the game back. I think we started that game at like nine nine thirty. So I told my manager, I was like, "Hey, I'm down. I didn't catch the last game on the on the road trip. I was like, I'm down to catch. I don't care what the travel is. I'm I'm catching a day." He was like, "No worries." Mm-hmm. So we we land and in Nashville, the way we the way we travel is everybody drives themselves to the airport and we have like placards that don't we don't have to pay for parking, mm-hmm. right? And so we get there and they're like, hey, everybody, just just go to your car, go to the field. We'll have your stuff brought to the field because you guys need to go there. You guys got to play catch. You got to stretch, get ready for the game. So we get to the stadium and my, my family is in at the at the stadium already because it was my sister's birthday. Like my sister's birthday was that that uh, that day. Right. Or that next day. Excuse me. And so they came in for that 
for that celebration, we were going to go. I was going to take him to dinner after the game, this, that, and the other. And so we get to the field. My manager gets there. He was like, Bru-, and I come, lineup comes out, and I'm not catching. And I walk up to him. I was like, hey, you told me for two days that I'm catching today. Like, what's going on? He goes, oh, no, you know, travel day. I was like, I don't care about the travel day. I was like, I'm our starting catcher. I said, I'm catching today. He was like, you can't catch today. And I was like, what do you mean? And, I, dude, I was getting irritated because I was already irritated, right? Mm-hmm. I was like, what do you mean you can't? I can't catch today? And he was like, you can't catch today because you got to go to Oakland. And I was like, what do you mean? He was like, you're coaching, catching for, I said, you're now on the Oakland A's. And I freaked out, went out and told my parents on the concourse. They're freaking out. My sister's freaking out. And so uh, the next day, hop on a flight. I'm going to Oakland, you know, after talking to my parents and stuff. And uh, come to find out, I fly from Nashville to, I fly from Nashville to L.A. and then L.A. to San Francisco, Jeez. right? I get to L.A., I get to L.A., and I'm walking to my terminal. Unbeknownst to me, my dad and my stepmom are on the same flight from L.A. to San Francisco. We had no had no idea, neither one of us. So I actually ended up sitting next to my dad and my stepmom on the flight from L.A. to San Fran. Um, I get to the field right before batting practice. I get there. First person I see is Coco Chris, and I gave him a big old hug because in 2014, I told him, I said, I'm going to play with you side by side before before you retire he was like i'll hold you to it and so and that guy's like my big brother i still talk to him to this day and um and so i get there hit bp awesome feeling right so we're playing tampa bay and uh we're playing tampa bay and i get a pinch hit at bat in like the ninth the game's kind of out of hand i'm breathing hard my heart's pumping like this that and the other my heart's pumping and uh i get up there i think i swing i think i'm pretty sure i struck out but my bat felt like a wiffle ball bat that ball looked like it was coming in at 110 and i don't think i i was i don't i was swinging so hard and i think i could have swung harder mm-hmm. like it was insane and then the next day i ended up starting my first game and i we we played against the the rays and i had i had blake snell on the mound so i was like yeah. today is a catching day got mm-hmm. it like got it and um didn't do much against him but we 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 held a i think we won by one or two runs i caught a very well game um and you know i got my first dub like my first game is starting behind the plate and i got my first win so it was a it was a pretty surreal surreal experience for me Mm -hmm. were you so then all right so bruce let's fast forward to 2017 i believe that was also was 2017 the year sean manea threw his no hitter did you um no it was 2018 i think i think i was 18 that was an 18 18. and no no i didn't uh luke roy caught that one oh my god i forgot he was on the a's at the tail end his career wow okay mm-hmm. all right bruce so 2017 you're you make the club out of spring training is that correct no that was an 18 17 17 i got i got sent to AAA about a week and a half before camp was over big league camp was over okay and then at what point in 17 did you get called up um about right before like probably a couple weeks before all-star break maybe okay so like but around july it, yeah it was it was around the it was around the same time that i got i got called up my first year about the june july ish okay like mid-season because you played mm-hmm. like you played like 75 games or something that year so yeah yeah that was the that was the most games i had played uh up with the ace 
Um, mm-hmm. They didn't. They didn't. Uh, I didn't. I didn't break camp, but I, I got back up a few weeks before that. I got called up the year before. Got it. Got it. Okay. So 2017. We'll fast forward to September. Bruce, you made the decision, the noble decision, to kneel during the national anthem. Something no player has done on their own since. In 2020, they had like league-wide kneels. But you were the first person to kind of set that in motion. Can I can I ask what why you did that first? First and foremost, what was the reason behind that? Um, the reason was because for a very long time in the in the environment that we grew up in back in Alabama, me and my me and my sister have been living through and been faced with a lot of challenges from not only being mixed or not from only from being black, but being mixed. So when we grew up, like I lived in an area where there wasn't too many of, of very, very slow. It's very old school kind of living out in the country, like where I'm from. It's very slow developing, you know, in Alabama. And so um we got a lot of hate racially from black people and the white side of things because we were not enough of either one right so especially in the game of baseball my sister didn't get it as much because she played basketball so it was a little different but for me like I was always the only black kid on my team um and as well mannered and well dressed as I was and this that and the other it still didn't really matter and so over the years as an adult I've just seen the the atrocities going on when it comes to racial profiling and and police brutality and this that and the other and and it tends to happen more at a more alarming rate when it comes to the other ethnicities in our country not just not just african americans and that year i was struggling i was struggling to to keep it in and it's one of those things where you don't bring in your personal beliefs in the locker room because it's a place at work so i try to keep it to myself what pushed me over the edge what pushed me over the edge was uh watching donald trump's rally he had a rally in my hometown uh about a week or so before i did what i did and to see him call out the nfl players and to see him speak about them and ill will when they were peacefully protesting something that affects not only them but their own communities our communities um, and to hear the people in Huntsville, Alabama, cheering him on and supporting him, I think it broke me uh, just because that is a place where I grew up, where I was raised by my parents to be the man I am today. And uh, it, it really bothered my soul. And so leading up to that day, I talked to my dad, who's my dad's ex-army. Uh, most of my family is ex-army, ex-military. And I talked to him. I told him, I said, this is what I'm going to do. This is why I'm going to do it. And you can't change my mind. And he was like, I'm not going to. He goes, but you got to understand what's coming after this. I was like, I get it. I was like, I get what's coming after it. I said, but it's worth it. It's worth it. Cause you know, if you don't, you don't, I've always been taught if you don't stand up for something, you'll fall for anything. And that's one of those things where I care about people. It doesn't necessarily have to be my own people, but I care about people as a whole, treating people with respect, this, that, and the other. And so um, the day of, I had a big team meeting. I had a, had a meeting with my manager and GM first. And they said that, you know, hey, we support you through and through. Like, this is what you want to do, this, that, and the other. And then I had a full team staff meeting before batting practice. I shed some tears. I explained to them my reasonings, my upbringing, my experiences. Um, I was completely vulnerable to my guys because I told them, I was like, at the end of the day, I'm not asking you to agree with me. I'm asking you to, I'm giving you a heads up out of respect. 
respect because at the end of the day, all I want to do here is win. I said, but as us as baseball players on the highest platform in the world, I was like, I have to make a stand because I've been I've been influenced by these things. My family has, the people I know have, and where I'm from, it happens a lot. And so I was like, I'm making this stand. You don't have to support it. You don't have to agree with it. But at the same time, all I'm asking you to do is respect it. I was like, when when the reporters come in here after the game and ask you what you think, be honest. I said, I don't need you going to bat for me. I said, I'm an adult. I said, but as teammates, I owe you guys the the heads up. I owe you guys the respect. And I said, and if any of you, and I, and I gave them this option. I said, if any of you think that your future career is going to be affected by this and it bothers you, speak up now and I'll, and I'll try to find another way to do it. I say, I'm not trying to cause a ripple in our locker room. All I'm trying to do is stand up for what's right and stand up for people that look like me. I said, I'm tired of sitting by over here when we're a game that supposedly represents and treats all these different ethnicities and countries on our baseball field like we're all one. I said, I have to make a stand. And my my guy, Trevor Plouffe, stands up and uh, he said, Bruce, you got some balls like sitting here having this discussion with us and being vulnerable. He goes, I commend you for it. I might not agree with your methods, but at the end of the day, I support you and what you believe in. And we went out on the field to take BP. Um, the game started around, and I, I took that knee down. And I had, you know, Mark Canna's hand was on me every day. Um, and, I, you know, my guys were honest about it. You know, and they, they were, you know, if they didn't agree, they, they told the media they didn't agree. And I'm okay with that because we're all different and we all believe in different stuff. Um, it's a beautiful part, you know, about being on a team. Like, not everybody's going to be the same, but having them respect and the vulnerability in your own locker room um you tend to you tend to have respect for your players around you for their differences you know what i'm saying not not each one of us is not the same and so um from a player standpoint i had a lot of support in the locker room for those things and even across the league I, you know i had guys reaching out both active and retired players and so it was a it was an interesting time did you ever i have to ask bruce did you ever hear from colin kaepernick you mentioned the nfl and yeah. the trump speech yeah. What was he, that? He, 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 he called me. He called me the 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 the, the next morning. Yeah, because we were headed to Texas, I think, the next day. He called me the next morning, and we, we had a semi-brief conversation. He reached out a helping hand if I needed anything to please give him a call. Um, and so he connected me with uh, Ed Reed, too. And so time to time, I still check in with Ed Reed. Uh, he's he's a little less little less busy than Colin. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so, but he's always been a good mentor for me also. And so I still keep in touch with those guys. Were you surprised when you first heard from Colin? Yeah, because he called me from a number I didn't have. And so at the time, he, I, obviously you don't answer unknown calls, but at the time I didn't know who it was, but it was a local area code. So mm -hmm. I figured it might have been a coach or it might have been like a trainer or something um, or just a player in general. And so when he said it it, 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 it shocked the hell out of me. I promise you that. Yeah. Bruce, would you did you ever think that um, what Colin did in the NFL would get the reaction and backlash that it did? Um, say it again. I apologize. You cut out. No problem. Did you ever think with uh, Colin's actions in the NFL, his um, show of activism in the NFL, did you ever think he would receive the type of backlash that he did? Yeah, 100%. It was Just because no shock it, to you at all? No, it, it wasn't because um, it's our you know country, man. It's our society. Like, no, it doesn't matter the sport. Like, um, 
it, it, it honestly did not shock me whatsoever. Um, and plus, growing up where I'm from, like you see that kind of like, quote unquote, patriot, uh, patriotic behavior, whatever. And it's like you, you, you can't, you can do, you can protest, but you can't protest that way, or you can't protest this way, or like you can, you have the right to peaceful protest, but everybody always has a say on how you do it. And at the end of the day, if if it's shown in you anything over the last hundreds of years, more people in our country have problems with who's protesting than the actual purpose of the protest. Mm-hmm. So, Bruce, you mentioned that when you were um, about to kneel, like beforehand, the conversations you had uh, specifically with your dad, you mentioned like you are you need to be prepared for what's about to come. What was your backlash like afterwards? Say, say it one more time. So you mentioned the conversations you had with your dad before you kneeled about like the possible repercussions that would have happened. You said, yeah, I know I'm prepared were you actually prepared? Like, was it what you expected? No. 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 Can you the, give me a little bit of insight into the, what happened after that? The volume and the darkness of hate that I received was overwhelming. Um, it, it was overwhelming. Like, I knew I would get shit for it. I knew I would get, you know, people hitting my DMs, you know, you know, f- you know, fuck you inward, like this and the other. Um I knew I was going to get all that just because the sport we play in the country we live in, it's very uh, good old boy baseball ran by those type of types of people. It stems back to when the MLB was created, the whole reason the MLB was created. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew I was going to get some stuff, bro, but not in the capacity in which I was getting. Um, you know, I had anywhere between vets, you know, army, military vets supporting me to them, you know, wishing my family died in a house fire to wishing my car blew up on the highway, um, you know, threats to my family. I had people finding my family on social media and trying to find out where they work and live and threatening them. Like they're reaching out to my sister, shooting, shooting her threats like on her own pages. Uh, my mom, um, I, I, I told everybody, like, if you want to go after my dad, good luck. He's a paranoid army vet. Like my dad's got PTSD and all that stuff. I say, so good luck with that. Like you can, I'll, I'll leave you on your own with that. But as soon as you start talking and threatening the women in my life, we're going to have a serious issue um and so the volume the volume was more severe and darker than i ever thought it would be so that part was a struggle i'm sorry to hear that bruce did m at any point did mlb or oakland intervene and try and i'm not really sure what could really diffuse a situation like that but were you offered any sort of kind of lifeline um in terms of like help no no i actually wasn't um i I really didn't didn't have an outlet by any means i kind of had to do it and deal with it kind of on my own um i mean the a's publicly said that you know they supported me and in the clubhouse i had nothing but support but at the same time after the fact and for the you know the coming years like i never really had um any any type of psychological support or anybody really to talk to so I kind of had that bottled up for a while and, and it and it really ate at me and kind of it, it I struggled mentally with it for sure. How did you eventually subside that struggle or alleviate that struggle, that feeling? Or have you? I don't I don't know. Um it, I have I have times where I think about all that stuff and it and it and I struggle with it still. But um I had to go I had to go it, it took a while because even even this was in seventeen, so even in nineteen when I was playing internationally, I was still getting getting those random those random threats from the states even though i wasn't even there two years later 
Yeah. And even even last year, like people still find me sometimes and 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 send me nasty stuff. And uh, still to this day, like we're we're six years post, and I still get um I still get the label. I still get the the uh, the quote unquote complicated player rep. This that and the other. Um, so it's, I mean, it's an ongoing thing. I don't think it'll ever go away. Um, as long as I'm in uniform, I don't think it'll ever go away because like I said, it's just like society and, and how baseball is and the fans of baseball too. It's, 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 it's unfortunate, but, uh, it's reality, you know? So Bridge, you haven't been back in MLB since 2018. Do you feel that you're being blackballed? Um, I don't think it's necessarily a feeling. I think um, it's pretty obvious if anybody kind of looks at the situation um, that I got I got pushed out because um, it, it has nothing to do with my ability to play. And so uh, I think it's just politics. And I think I've come to grips with it. Um, you know, I did I did get an opportunity uh, to go with the Mets and did well. Just never got a shot to get back up. And then you know, my last year with the Mets, I ended up not playing a whole lot. Um, and then I got traded. Then I blew out my elbow and had to get TJ when I was with the Giants. So it kind of, it kind of, I've been taking hit after hit, you know, after 17 and, uh, that my, that Tommy John surgery I had was, was the first surgery I've ever had in baseball in uh, well, yeah, ever. Yeah. I had, I had one other surgery, non-baseball related, uh, when I was younger, but that was the first time I've ever been like truly hurt. So, um, that was a struggle, like coming back from that mentally. And so, I'm still plugging away, man. I still train and, and trying to get a few years left out of this body, you know? Bruce, given how your career has shaken out thus far, do you have any regrets? Um, honestly, honestly, no. Like people ask me that question all the time. And I tell them if I had to go back, if I had to go back, I would do it all over again. The difference is if I could go back with the knowledge I have now, the aftermath, I think I would have been able to handle it a little, a little differently. Um, because I would have understood the, the volume and the, and the darkness and those messages and those threats. Um, that was the first time I've ever experienced that much of, of, of hate. And it was it was overwhelming. It was it was it was hurt. I was I was hurt in my soul because, you know, as as when you when you have good parents in the household, they teach you to to believe in yourself and to believe in what you stand for and stand for it amongst against anyone because it's your it's your right to you know stand up for what you personally believe in. And my parents always prided uh, prided uh, our, our my sisters and I in us being believing in what we believe in and standing our ground, you know, and and standing up for for something that's going on over there. It might not have to do with anything, but it's not right. Standing for up for what's right and what's wrong, you know. So. So um, I've always tried to be that person. I've always tried to try to stand up for others who can't stand for themselves. And uh, if I if that means I take a few hits, then I take a few hits. I'm okay with it um, because I've I've done it kind of my whole life. So Bruce, do you think that if you didn't kneel, you'd be a major league baseball player today? Yes, 100, percent no doubt. Yep, yep. I, I I honestly do. I honestly do. And I and I think you know. And I, I've talked to guys about this stuff before. And um, you know, I did it. I did it not only for myself, uh, but I did it for the kids coming coming after us like the generations after us um there's a big decline since last 30 years like there's there's a significant significant decline in african-american ball players here in america um and it goes back to simply when when you're a kid and you you have your favorite sport like if you turn on the tv and you don't see people that look like you you kind of get discouraged a little bit mm -hmm. especially in the game of baseball and so you know like i said i grew up being the only black kid on my team for a very very long time from high school where well, there's two of us in high school um before that it was just me and then when i got 
to college. I had, there was just me. And, uh, and so it's like when, when you turn that TV on as a child and you, for me, like you see Fred McGriff, you see Ken Griffey Jr., you see Frank Thomas, you see, uh, Kenny Lofton, you see Gary Sheffield, like you see all these guys, you're like, yo, I can do this, you know? And it's like with the other sports, it's a little different because it's predominantly African American. And so, um, I think that at the end of the day, like it was a bigger, I did it for a bigger reason. I knew what I had on the line. I knew my career was on the line if I did it. And honestly, I really, truly, it, it didn't supersede the the meaning and the purpose of my actions. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I put myself in the line of fire because that needed to be addressed, especially in our country and in our game, because we literally are the most culturally diverse sport on the planet. And so it, it's like it goes beyond just African-Americans. It goes to our Latinos. It goes to, to other other ethnicities that come to America to join our games and our sports um, makes them, you know, it stands up for all of us, you know, and 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 I was the sacrificial lamb, which at the end of the day, like, I'm, I'm, I think that was that was my purpose at the time. Bruce, before we move on here, I just want to say thank you so much for sharing your story and just being open. I don't think that a lot of people fully understand the got the full picture of what happened when it happened and it's clear after talking to you a lot of people still don't really understand and i'm sorry that you have to deal with that i do though bruce um want to talk to you about the work you're doing today um helping the next generation tell me about everything how you got involved and kind of what your day-to-day now is like so my my uh, one of my former teammates for a very long time, they uh, run an organization out here. It's called Swagger Athletics out here in the Bay Area. It's based out in Palo Alto, Redwood City area. Um, I finished my season early and in, in, in internationally this year. Um, and he called me, gave me a call. And he was like, hey, come! I want you to come out here and, and run your catcher stuff with our organization. And so I came out here for a test run for a week with my wife and uh, loved it, loved the kids, loved the environment. And so I actually moved out here about a month and a half ago to full time do this. And so I to the to this day, like I still train in the morning. I get my workout in, my hitting, my catching, and my throwing and stuff in the mornings. And then in the afternoon and evenings, we train these kids. I, we have kids anywhere from the ages of eight to eighteen. Um, I run. Uh, I started a catching academy program with our organization, but it's also open to to non uh organizational kids uh, for Swagger. It's it's more so uh, based out of here, just in the Bay Area in the local area. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to reach out to more colleges and to more high schools uh, to to kind of expand that work because. When it comes to the art of catching, it's very specific. And it's very hard to learn the right ways to catch from a guy who never caught. Uh, you can find a hitting coach on every corner, but you don't really find catching instruction, especially from guys who've played at the highest level. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I love kids. I, I work with kids in Mexico. I work with kids um, in all the different countries that I play with still because I, I developed my Spanish speaking skills. And so I'm, I'm pretty good at it now. Um, I work with kids virtually all over the country now still um, from the ages of, you know, 12, 13 to to seniors in high school to college kids. And so uh, I'm just trying to give back to our game because when I was coming through the system and pro ball, 
I had guys like Coco Crisp, like Adam Jones, like Tory Hunter, uh, those guys that were mentoring me because I was one of them. You know, it's it's my part in giving back to the game and to the next generation because when I was growing up, I just had my dad. Mm-hmm. I didn't grow up in an area where we had access to professional baseball players, uh, to professional sports in general. And I feel like as 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 athletes, I feel like this is what we do to, to replenish our game itself. I've literally played baseball for 28 years of my life and I still play but this is my efforts into giving back to our next generations and so um, I love kids I love working with kids and um, so it's kind of kills two birds with one stone it's 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 a it's a fundamental thing that we have to do to keep our game moving in the right direction and develop these kids their love of the game and understanding of the game um but also at the same time, it's fulfilling my love of teaching and my my love of working with kids. Bruce Maxwell, thank you so much for joining STAP. I'm looking forward to keeping in touch in the future, man. Best of luck. For sure, man. I appreciate the invitation, man. And you guys got a good thing going here. It was an honor to be on here today. Thank you. STAT, where the game's heartbeat never fades. In celebration of opening day, we've got a special episode of the Moth Podcast for you. The theme is baseball and the surprising ways it connects people. I gaze out at the players on the field, and then I, uh, I look over at my dad, and I, I realize that in the silence between us that something has changed. It's like I'm seeing him for the first time. Two stories about baseball, family, and so much more. The episode's available right now. Subscribe to The Moth Podcast to make sure you hear it.